Can y'all hear that? Can y'all hear what I was hearing? It's awesome. Hold on. Let me. I'll, I'll do this. There we go. Oh, it's so good. Can y'all hear it? I wish that I could. I could somehow let you hear it, because if you could hear what I was hearing, then it would absolutely like change your life. It was. It was. <laughs> it's so good. The song. You know what I'll do? I'm just going to sing it for you, because that's. I mean, that's all. I can't. You can't hear this, right? So I'm just going to sing it. Um, no, I'm not going to sing it. Um, you actually don't want me to sing it. Um, all right. The point I just made is being made in the text today. All right. The point I just made is being made in the text today. John it has been has been bringing us through <clears throat> a, a series of tests that we're supposed to have um, as Christians. We're in first John. We're in chapter three, the very beginning. And over the course of the first two chapters, John has um, had a series of tests whether to know we're in the faith. One of the things that John wants us to know is that we're in the faith. And so he gives us a series of tests. One is righteousness, that if we have just repugnant, disgusting, gross, um, willing sin in our life, that's not good. Um, and that would show you that you're probably not in the faith. Another thing is that um, if your life has not been changed and is not marked by love for your fellow man, then you're probably not in the faith. And then the other one is that there's a mark of truth. You need to know theology. And so he's going through those first three chapters. And as he's going through those first three chapters, he just kind of stops here. Um, and what he wants to do, <clears throat> instead of talking about these external kind of deals that are going on, he's going to point to something that's very, very internal. And here's the problem with these internal things. <clears throat> no matter how hard you try, you can't express it. You can't express it like I want you to hear what I'm saying, but all I can do is just turn up the volume and you're not going to hear it. I'm going to try my hardest, um, but it's no easy way for you to experience what I was experiencing because it's all internal. No matter how hard I try words, because they're finite, are always going to fall short. And that's what he's talking about here. There's an internal happening about being called a child of God and being born of God, that no matter how hard you try to externally explain this to people that don't know Jesus, you're never going to be able to do it. It's just going to fall short. There's external things like righteousness and love and, and knowing doctrine. And those are external things. But he, he's going through and then actually at the rest of the book, he's going to he's going to put a dichotomy against those three things, righteousness versus unrighteousness, um, love versus being unloving. He's going to unpack those things. But right here, he just takes this little pause um, to say, people, you are you are children of God. You have been born of him. This should just amaze you. And so he's taking this little pause here. And that's where we are for these for last week and this week is is dwelling in this little pause that. No matter how hard I try. No matter how hard you try to tell people, um, unless you have been born of God, words are words are difficult to express the the internal things that are happening. It's just very difficult to express. Um, I'm going to call a little bit of an audible. Uh, you know, an audible is like when the quarterback gets up to the to the line and he sees that the defense is set up so that when they run that play, they're just going to smash their players. And so he's like, oh, you know, 45 and 22. And he calls out a bunch of numbers and tells all the people and they start moving all around and they do a new play so they don't get smashed. Um, I'm doing that a little bit. I'm getting up here and I've been studying this week and I realized um, I want to tweak just a little bit from last week, I was looking at it, and, and it's not going to seem like it's hu huge, but I think it is massive. All right. Um, the, the title last week was uh, Children of God um, or God's Children, one of those two. Um, and I've, I've tweaked it just a little bit here to be born of God. Now, I'll, I'll explain to you why. Um, right here, the reason why I called it God's Children <clears throat> is in verse one. Of, of, we're in 228 through 33 and verse one, it says, see what kind of love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. And then in verse two, it says, beloved, we are God's children. And so those are the two things that I saw. He, the big picture here he's talking about about to us is that being a, a child of God. And so that's what I called it last week. But um, 
verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. It's just a little bit different. Um, a little bit different to say you're God's child than to when you say you've been born of God. Um, and we'll see in uh, next week, hopefully, Lord willing, that we'll see that it says that we have God's seed in us. And so there's a big thing here um, about being a child of God. Verse nine says no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. So. Yeah, we're children of God, but to try to make it just a little bit more huge, more wow factor, we've been born of God. All right, so that, that's my little tweak here. And I want to give you a little bit of a review um, so that when we go into this review, you know what's going on. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to go to the next, to, to the next ones. Um, this past week was, was a really good week for me. I, got to, I was able to, by God's grace, um, be able to preach every night this past week. Um, at a, at a camp, it was a small little camp, <clears throat> about an hour from here. Cameron and I were doing a little youth deal, um, but um, it's, it was really good for me to get to just preach every night. Uh, good for my soul, good for my happiness, and you know we had an hour drive, so Cameron and I would do a lot of talking, and I just kind of started seeing some things about about me and about people and about life and things like that. And one of the observations I've really I've really noticed, and this is just so obvious. I mean, this is not really like some kind of profound observation. But for me, it was at the time. Um, people like to be around happy people. Did you know that? Did you notice that? Like, if people are unhappy, you generally, all right, I can only take about 15 or 20 minutes of them. Um, but when they're happy, I like to be around them. And, and even if they're too happy, I'll, I like to be around them when they're too happy. Um, and I don't mean like silly happy and I don't mean like, you know, they've had stuff happening in their life that's uh, or stuff happening internally. that's causing them to be happy at the time, some kind of like drugs or something. I'm just mean like happy people. They're happy in Jesus. And whenever you're around them, you want to be around them more. And so I've just decided in my head that um, one of the things I really want to find myself like being is way more happy, um, way more happy. And so. That's not really profound, but I just thought it was it was interesting that preaching every week made me happy and seeing and getting to talk about the gospel out loud towards people that were loving to hear about the gospel um, made me happy. And then getting to talk about the thing that should make them most happy, which is the gospel. And it's just it was just a really kind of it doesn't sound profound, but to me at the time, maybe it was just late. It was a profound thought as I was thinking about it. Um, so here we are at two twenty eight. Um, I'm going to do a little review and then we're going to jump in Two twenty-eight. This is this is the text. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shriek from him at his coming. So there's there's a second coming of Jesus. And when he comes, we don't want to shrink. We want to have confidence. Um, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us. Is that he is that it did not know him. Beloved we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears. We shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him. Purifies himself as he is pure. Let's pray. God, these words are amazing. And <laughs> I, I know that I can't, as much as I want to, unpack, express, talk about, explain everything that's in there and the depths of it as much as I, as I can. I can't do it on my own. As a matter of fact, I don't want to do it on my own because then it's not from you. And so, Lord, would you come now? And let us hear the glorious music of these of these verses. Let us experience what the Holy Spirit is is showing to us and what he's teaching to us and how inexpressibly glorious these words are. That we are children of God, that we have been born of God. 
that you have put within us your love, that you have put within us your seed. That we can see for the maybe the very first time this this beauty of a man hanging on a bloody cross. And that that is the most astounding, amazing, beautiful truth. The most freeing thing that could ever be seen by us. I can't, I can't do it, Lord. I can't explain it. I want to see it better. And I want all of us to see it this morning and be changed by it. So help, Lord. Please come and help. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So these were the three things last week. Um, Number one is from 28. Uh, Those born of God will abide. It says, and now little children abide in him, which was the last thing he told us in verse 27. Abide in him. And now little children abide in him. So the first thing that we saw is that those who are born of God, those who are born of God will abide. You will abide if you are a child of God. If you have been born of him, if his seed resides in you, you will have a life characterized by remaining and by abiding. And just go to John 15 and, and look at verses 1 through 11 on that. I wish I had time. All right. Verse 2. Or, I'm sorry. Number 2. Um, those who are born of God live in view of the imminence of the second coming. Meaning, we said this last week, uh, Jesus is going to come back like a thief in the night at any moment. We don't know when it is, but since he's coming back um, and we don't know when we should be living in view of the imminence at the at the at any moment that it's going to happen. And since it's at any moment going to happen, the Bible over and over tells us when the when the second coming comes, be found living holy, be watchful. And so if you're living in view of the second coming, you're you're knowing that it's coming. So you're wanting to remain pure and holy and righteous because it's been declared of you. And you're also thinking, well, if it's coming any moment and I have friends that are unbelievers, <laughs> I don't really have time to waste to tell them I need to tell them. So if you've been born of God, you live in view of the second coming. The third one was this. Those born of God are righteous and pure. They are righteous and pure. And the, the righteous peace came from 229. God's telling you that you are righteous now. And so that's very passive. That's very happening to us. It's it's God saying that we are righteous. And so there's that there's that active form of God and passive thing for us that we are righteous. And so it doesn't seem like I have to do much because I am. But then we also saw in verse three where it, it kind of shifted, where it said in verse three, <clears throat> it says everyone who thus hopes in him. And then it says purifies himself as he is pure. So there we see our active role in being Righteous and pure and God's kind of passive role in that saying you need to be that. And so both and are, are true at all times. It's this already but not yet. Um, Philippians 3.16 only let us hold true to what we have already attained. We've already attained righteousness, but at the same time we have to hold true to it. And those those two kind of things are happening together. So that was what we saw last week. Um, God's children are righteous and pure. <clears throat> Therefore, they live in that truth. All right, so those are the two things we saw. Now we're going into the other ones um, that we have for this week. Um, let's let's go to verse one. Let's go to verse one. I have a quote here. Um, well, let me read the quote. This is from Martin Lloyd Lloyd Jones, just just an incredible expositor from England. Um, and within the last hundred years, he said, "Never think of a Christian as someone who is just trying to live a good life." Trying to be a little bit better. This goes hand in hand with that thing that I was trying to express here with the, with the headphones where I was trying to say, can't you see it? Let me turn up the volume. He, and we can't we can't put into words. And he says, never think of a Christian just as someone who is trying to live a good life, trying to be a little bit better than someone or a person with a belief and doing certain things or going through certain forms and ceremonials and trying to keep certain regulations that are dictated by the church. But <clears throat> this is for Christians to hear. Christians are children of God. They have been born again, born from above, born of the spirit. They have received the very nature and life of God himself. They're transformed people. They are a new creation. They are thus absolutely essentially different from those who have not experienced that. We're not better. We're not saying that we're better. Every person 
has been born with dignity and value and worth. Every person has been born in the image of God. Everyone bears that image. That's why we, we love life and we love people. And we, we, whether they're believers or not, we want to go to them. But there's an experience that we've had that they haven't had. That's just, it's almost inexpressible. But that doesn't mean we never try. We always try to express it. It's a very unique situation to be in. So here we are, verse 1. This verse... Oh, man, this is this first half of one is a is a memorizing like this is a one you want in your life for the rest of your life. You know, stick it on your fridge or whatever. Put it on your mirror in your bathroom. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. There's a bunch inside that. So I want to I want to let us see everything inside of that. Um First of all, <clears throat> this this first word, see, is a command. This is an imperative. See it. You've got to see it. He's telling you you have to. But the see isn't just with your eyes. We kind of talked about this at one time um, whenever we were going through First John. This see is not just see with your eyes, but it's see with your mind. It's, it's experience this. It's, it's be intimately and deeply involved in the knowing and the seeing of of this and it's the love of God. So this is a command that you have to do this. And then he says, see <clears throat> what kind of love the father has given. This given isn't just like here's a present. Maybe you can have it. This given is bestowed. It's supplied. It's granted. It's it's implanted into you. So see that this love of God has been not just given, but but put down inside of you. It's there, whether you want it or not, if you're a believer, which you would want it, of course, um, irresistible grace. We we have it inside of us. And it's like, there it is. Beautiful, wonderful. This love, the love of God is in you. It's not like, you know, your love for your wife or your love for your child. It's the love of God for you. He has put that inside of you and you have capacities now to be able to love others in him back at the same level that he has the capacities to love. I mean, mind blowing. And he's telling you, commanding you see that more. I mean, it's just more. All right. That we should be called. All right. This called. Um. Or, or actually, let's go back to the that. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. This that is actually in order that we should be called children of God. Um, or so that this love that has been put inside of us is the thing that is making us be called the children of God. It's not just that. It's in order that that we might be called the children of God. And this called um, is is like named but it's not like you pick it. It's it's that now that this has happened, now that you've been named this, now that you've been called this, it has made you the child of God. See the command, what kind of love that the father has given or bestowed or implanted into us so that we may be called or made children of God. God has implanted. This is this is my point here. <clears throat> In other words, what really makes us the children of God is that God has put his own life into us God's nature is love and he has put his nature into us not deifying us but but making us like Jesus <clears throat> that we have within us now the love of God we have God's love in us <clears throat> so here's the first thing or the fourth thing or whatever it is around those that are born of God they obey the commandment that they are to see that they have the love of God and that they have it inside of us. The commandment that they, they have to see that. Um, John's going to give us some implications of knowing and seeing this love later on in the chapter um, and what the implications are that we should love God, that we have God in us and that we should now, um, since we have the love, then we are bound to love others. We are bound to love them particularly well. Um, but what we want to see here is that we are commanded to see it. We're commanded as Christians to see it. Let me tell you um, how you're not going to see this love, how you're not going to see it. Whenever I, I went to USC before I went to Charleston Southern. And while I was there, <clears throat> USC is interesting because they don't take role in classes. You know, well, a lot of them didn't. So you know, the three, four hundred people. And so I would go three times per semester. 
Three times. I would show up and get the syllabus the first day. And I'd get the syllabus and I'd say, okay, there's a midterm and there's a final. Awesome. I'm going two more days this semester. And so I would go for the midterm. And whenever the midterm came, he had the syllabus, all the stuff we're supposed to read. And so the night before, I would get the book. And it was like 16 chapters. I would get on a massive pot of coffee. And I would read and study eight chapters with my pot of coffee. And then I would stay up all night. And then I would go that next day and I would take the midterm. And then I would do the same thing again for the final. All right. Um, (laughs) That's not a good idea. That's just not a good idea. There's a lot of bad things that happen with that. Um, But if all we're going to do is kind of engage our faith, engage church, engage Jesus in that kind of capacity, what's what's the minimum? What's the minimum I got to do? Oh, three times I'm good. You're not going to obey the commandment of seeing. You're not going to obey the commandment of seeing. He's not telling us that do the minimum He's saying, if you would just obey this commandment of seeing, then he puts inside of you a deeper desire to see more and a deeper desire to see more. And as you obey the commandment to see, he puts more capacities within you to want to see more. And you keep seeing more and more beautiful things about Jesus and the love of God. And you experience his love and it's it's pouring out into other people. So the way you see it isn't just kind of approaching it as what are the what are the minimum things I need to know and, 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 and do to be a child of God? Let me drive it home this way. This is, this is where it just gets remarkably beautiful. All right. <clears throat> Look at verse two. Look at verse two. Particularly just the first six words. And if I could say the sixth word is stinking amazing. Beloved, we are God's children now. There's kind of a misconception I've kind of grown up with my whole life, which is um, one day whenever I'm 50 and I've been more sanctified or one day when I'm seven, I'm looking back on my life and I'm looking at the ministry that God's allowed me to do. Or one day when I'm finally in heaven, that's the day I'm going to be able to say now I'm God's child. Now I've done the stuff that God's going to let me kind of be part of his deal and and let me know that I'm his child right now. Um, We are God's child now. His love has been implanted into you at regeneration and faith. Now you have God's love, God's love, the the infinite amount of his love been implanted to you now. So you are God's children now. So see that Um, you can now right now enjoy all the rights, all the privileges as being adopted into the son of God. It's not like one day you're going to get to do that. Um, You can know God as father now. You are his child now. So see that now. You don't have to wait to abide in Christ. Beloved, you are God's child now. I mean, this is beautiful to start thinking about. There's not a day when I get into heaven that he's finally going to be happy with me. You don't have to continue in that sin anymore. The thing that you you think is is got its grips on you that there's no you're God's child now the sin doesn't have you so see it see his love for you you're loved by God now um this is pretty bold but I think this is absolutely true I saw this in Martin Lloyd Jones um commentary this week we will never be more the children of God than we are now pretty it's pretty amazing you're never going to be more like it's all now how would that change the way you live that's pretty amazing like in heaven you will be looking at jesus you'll be no more god's child then than you are right now your perspective will change but what's true is true Right now. Verse one is ridiculous. I mean, it just blows me away. Gives me chills. And I, I just it's back to the headphone deal. If I felt a little bit of it, I got a glimpse and I just wanted to express it to you. And I think I know and I'm not, it's not like I'm the only one that experiences this. We all experience it as Christians and there's glimpses of it. And I've just been praying this whole week that we all would get a glimpse of it because I can't I can't produce it. I can't make you feel it. But when you see it, and the way we see it is in its scriptures. I mean, the scriptures are the things that 
that he uses the spirit to open up our minds and open up our heart to see these things and know these things. Wow, that's beautiful that I am God's child now that even in heaven, as I sing his praises, as I worship him for eternity, I am just as much as this child now than I will be then. Beautiful. So the greatness of being God's child now, knowing that we're loved by him right now, no more than we'll ever be, should give us great reason to abide in him now. Great reason. All right, let's look at the next thing. The second half of one. The second half of one says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. All right, here's the second deal. Here's the second thing. Um, or fifth, I'm sorry. Fifth. Those born of God will not make sense to the world. All right, and you know exactly if you're a believer what I mean here. Um, in some ways you will, but in some ways you just won't. Then this is what he's saying here. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And if they knew Jesus, then they would understand us. But because they don't know Jesus, they don't, they, we just don't make sense to them. The way we want to live our lives, the patterns that we want to keep, the things that we don't want to do, the things that we do want to do, the, the striving, at least, for being humble and not prideful, the striving, at least, to serve others and, and consider others better than ourselves, that kind of stuff doesn't make sense. I mean, in my own corrupt human nature, a lot of times it doesn't make sense to me. Those born of God won't make sense. You know, the, the most profound question I can ask you is, how much are you making sense? You making lots of sense to the world? That could be, could be problems. Um, and this is a mystery here that, that we can't... I can remember distinctly in USC, um, when I was at USC, I, had, I was in a conversation with two guys. Um, one was my roommate. He was a, he was a Muslim. Um, probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Just incredible, friendly person. And the other guy, well, he wasn't really anything. I mean, he was just from the Midwest. Um, not that they're nothing. I mean, that's just, that's just where he was from. And so I'm having a conversation with these two guys, talking with them about the exclusivity of Christ, meaning um, the idea that Jesus really is the only way for us to be able to go to heaven. And that and he, clearly we know the implications when I'm having this conversation with my roommate, <laughs> what that means for him. And so the guy from the Midwest looks at me and goes, what's wrong with you? Are you serious? You're saying that this guy... I don't, He's the nicest guy in the world. Are you saying he's not going to go to heaven? You're a, and he, you know, use some words there. My daughter's in the room and I don't want her to hear. Um, <clears throat> you're not very smart. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I can remember just trying to express, no, this is what the Bible says. The exclusivity of Jesus. He is the only way. And we, we just don't, we just don't make sense sometimes. And I, I can remember feeling like, oh, God, I don't. I don't like this feeling of of not being able to communicate and fit in and and have this relationship that is on all levels like they they think I'm weird but our citizenship is in heaven. We're pilgrims in this land. We're sojourners. Why would we make a home here? Our home is there. So we're not ever going to make sense. Um John's telling us that they don't understand us. I'm sorry. They don't understand us, but we know Christ. They don't know us. They don't make, we don't make sense to them, but we get to know Jesus. Um, and we can understand each other. That's one of the most mysterious parts here. Um, this is one of the, I'm reading Lloyd-Jones. This is one of the most mysterious aspects of Christian life and experience. Those who have the life of God always know one another and they feel an affinity and an attraction no one else can understand. It's a life that recognizes itself in another. You, you recognize God's life inside of you and God's love inside of you. And when you're around other believers, you can recognize that in, inside of other people. It's, it's just an amazing thing. That's why we see, for the most part, the majority, Christians marrying Christians. We're biblically commanded to that, but we're attracted. We feel attraction towards someone that also feels an attraction towards Jesus. And, and friends, we, when you meet someone for the first time, it's just after a little bit, you, uh, 
man, there's something we, we got it. It's just like we're having a conversation without having it. And it doesn't make sense to the world. Just like y'all are, y'all are strange. Y'all are strange people. And, you know, a lot of us are. A lot of us are strange people. Um, but what does that mean? Like, what's the point? What's the point of me telling you right now? Hey, you're not going to make sense. So get ready to be weird. Um, what's the point of that? I think that the whole point is John's whole point of the letter. John's whole point. I keep going back to it. John, first John five thirteen. These things have that have been written that you may know you have eternal life. That's that's very reassuring. That in these moments where we're doubting and we get around un- other believers, and then we have this. That gives me confidence and like, okay, Lord, when I doubt, thank you for that precious gift of grace where I got to meet someone who is a believer and have conversation with them and have relationship with them that gives me, okay, I am in Christ. I know that this past week has just been treacherous and ridiculous and I have lived in a way that wasn't good. But being around here, you've given me a gift where I am again feeling I am in Christ. Thank you for that. I repent of that sin, but thank you for letting me have that. I don't make sense to the world. I am in Christ. And we have those moments throughout the weeks all the time. We have them where we doubt. And it's just a good gift of God. All right. We're going to keep moving. We're going to keep moving here. Um, Beloved, I'm in verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And here we go. And what will be has not appeared. Let me let me I define this last week. I just want to make a couple um, couple definitions. Uh, I don't know where I put my papers. A couple definitions. I'm just gonna have to just wing it. Um, there's two little do- definitions. That I want us to know what they are. I defined them last week, but I'm going to use them. And if I use them, I want you to know what they are. Second coming and glorification. Second coming and glorification. The first one is this. Um, second coming is the fact that Jesus has come once. He's come once. And when he came, he came in humility. He came to die. He came to live a perfect life, die on a cross, willingly being obedient to the Father. And when he did, um, he saved us all. That was his first coming. There's a second coming. The Bible talks about the second coming. That will be far, far different from the first. He came in humility the first time. The next one, he comes in power, ready to set up his kingdom. He is going to obliterate the enemy. And yeah, he's going to kill them. I mean, it's just going to be amazing. The second coming. It's huge. And he's talking about it here. The second coming that when he appears, it's going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be breathtaking and scary and beautiful. That's the second coming that's coming one day. And we don't know when it's coming. We have no idea. Um, we looked in Matthew last week and it says that it's coming like a thief in the night where we have no idea just to be watchful and to be ready. And there's a second idea, which is called glorification. All right. That's more about us. Um, salvation is this massive process where we're justified. We're declared innocent at, at faith. And then for the rest of our life, we we live till we're whatever. And then we die. Um, but that moment we put our faith in Christ until we die, we go through this process of becoming more like Jesus called sanctification. And that just means becoming more like Jesus. And then when we die, this is the last part of salvation of, of is this thing called glorification. Glorification is the moment we die. At the moment of the second coming, our body, which has been buried into the ground and our soul, which will be in heaven, are united. And when our soul is united at the second coming back with our body, we are we are glorified. Our body has been glorified. Our, our body has been made like his body. If you look, you know, in, read in the, in the um, end of the Gospels where it says when Jesus was resurrected and he kind of went around and he was talking, he was in this glorified state. Um, he didn't look like he did whenever he was crucified. That state that he was in is somewhat similar to our body whenever we're going to be glorified. And the best important thing is really twofold. Um, one, we won't have sin. It, it's mind blowing to think about this fact that there one one day will be a time where you and I will do things without selfish motives. We won't do it because we want to make our name great. We want to seem a little bit nice. Um, We want to let someone just think we're awesome. Everything we do will be done with pure motives of making Jesus's name high. That's only going to happen when we're glorified. Whenever we are, our our corrupt human nature is made whole like the first Adam um, was before he fell. And all we want to do is be in perfect communion with God. That's pretty amazing. The second part is 
it sounds like right now, when I keep saying how glorious we're going to be in, in, in the term glorified, you will be glorified. When you hear that, you're like, wow, is it all about me? Nothing's about you. It's all about Jesus. Like we're going to be made like him. We're going to be made like the older brother. When we're glorified, it's all about him and not us. Pretty amazing. That's glorification. All right. So here we are and we're looking at verse two and it says, beloved, we're God's children now. And what and what we will be that's talking about glorification, what we will be has not appeared. But we know that when he appears, that's the second coming, we shall be made. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, because we shall see him as we as he is. Right now, we don't. Let, let me take you to a verse. It should be up here on the screen. This is First Corinthians thirteen twelve. It's kind of couched in what is the love chapter um, that you hear at weddings all the time. But in verse twelve, it says this: For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part; then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Which means right now, when we look at Jesus, it's like looking at a dim mirror. We can we can see him, but we can't see him great. And so right now we're, we're looking at that. <clears throat> but then it'll be face to face. It's going to be we're going to be able to see him as he actually is. Um, this is beautiful. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. How, how well does Jesus know you right now? You might not be able to see him perfectly and see him, but he still fully knows you then all the same comparison of how much he knows you right now, you will be able to know him. That's just crazy. That's crazy. All right. So that's what's going to happen when we're glorified. And he's saying we don't see him right now, but one day we will see him as he is. We will see him. And when we do, it's going to glorify us. Here's a couple of verses about our glorification that I want you to see. Um, let me move to the side so y'all can see him. Philippians three, Philippians three, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This body will be transformed to be like his. Here's another in Second Corinthians 3.18. Unbelievable. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image for one degree of glory to another. Um, our, our face won't be ve- won't be veiled. It'll be completely and we'll be able to finally look on him. And as we're looking on him, it's saying we're beholding the glory of Jesus. And as we're just beholding it, that will transform us into that image that we are looking at from one degree of glory to another. And it says, for this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. That's unbelievable. And then Colossians three, when Christ who is your life appears and Christ, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So when he appears that second coming, then we will also appear with him in glory. All right. <clears throat> so here's the sixth thing. Here's the sixth thing. The children of God, those born of God will see Jesus and be made like Jesus. Two great things in there. Number one, we're going to get to see him, not dimly, as First Corinthians 13 tells us, but fully. We'll, we'll know him as we are fully known and that we will also be made like him. We'll be in a glorified body where we won't we won't grow sick. We won't get old. We won't die. We'll be without sin completely. We made just like Christ for his glory and not for ours. Nothing will be done with selfish motives. Nothing. We're going to be made like him. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be identical to him. Um, it doesn't mean that we're going to become God or like a God. Um, it just means that in certain ways that Jesus is going to make us like him, giving us a glorified body for his glory, which I've said over and over. All right. So here's the implications for that. There's two implications for that. First of all, Be holy now. Because that's true. Because we're going to see him and we're going to be made like him. 
Be holy now. James Boyce says, if we are to be like Christ hereafter, then we must act like Christ now, imitating him now, particularly in the era of personal morality. So that's the first thing. Since that's true of us then, that means now we should be striving for that. Here's the second implication for this. Um, It's perspective. And this goes back to what I was talking about from the very beginning. It's, It's way better to be around happy people in Jesus. And I just don't mean like, you know, happy drunks or something. I'm talking about happy people in Jesus. All right. Um, it's way better to be around happy people than to be around unhappy people. So the second implication for our glorification is this. Lloyd-Jones says, if we look at all of our unhappiness now. So you, you think over the last week, all the times that you were unhappy instead of happy. If we look at all of our unhappiness, and this is an implication for our future glorification. That's awesome. Um, It can be traced back to that we are looking at things that are happening to us now instead of looking at the vision that is held before us on that day. The reason why you find yourself unhappy right now, week to week with certain situations, is because that we are far too intimately involved in the situations and the and the scenarios that are happening. We're keeping our mind focused on, on all the things that are happening now rather than keeping our our best, highest interest focused on the vision that is held before us that day when we're glorified. If we keep our focus on that more, then we are going to be far more happy people. Because everything will be made new that day. That's that's quite a perspective to keep. What does that mean? What does that mean day to day then? You know, some of us are married. What does that mean in relation to your spouse? The things that you find yourself unhappy with. Let's keep our glorification present in our mind. We'll find ourselves much more happy in our relationships and our conversations with our spouse I think that we would find ourselves much more enjoyable to be around with our spouse. Not that your, your, your spouse doesn't want to be around you, but the times that they don't. And I can go ahead and tell you, they don't want to be around you sometimes. Because <laughs> you know, I know Christy doesn't want to be around me sometimes whenever I'm being selfish or self-centered. And, and I understand it completely. I, can even, I don't even want to be around myself. I could, if I could somehow get away from myself, I would do it. <laughs> but what does that mean for your children? Maybe you've got a strained relationship with one of your children. And you find yourself far more unhappy than happy. Perspective on that day, your future glorification, when all your sin will be wiped away and that you'll get to see Jesus and know Jesus intimately. That should make you happy. And when you're happy, your your relationships and your conversations with people now seem to be different. Or coworkers, or neighbors, or whatever. Um, you won't, you don't get mad at the neighbor that parks his car in the road all the time. He tells you that you're blocking his driveway. <clears throat> anyway, let's go to verse three. Let's go to verse three. Here's we're going to wrap up with this. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. All right, so we're talking about hoping in Jesus, talking about hoping in Jesus, but he couches hoping in Jesus with language of pure of being pure. All right, so here's the seventh thing. Those born of God only hope in Christ, nothing else. You only hope in Christ, nothing else. And it's amazing that when he says only hope in Jesus, he couches in that same language. So go after purity with everything inside of you. Hope in Jesus and rush after being pure. Do everything you need to do to be pure. All right. I'm telling you, the Bible's telling you to hope in Christ. And this is using words of active purification. Um, He's speaking of hoping in Christ and saying, what does it mean to hope in him? What does it mean? All right. This is what it means to hope in him. And this is how it it connects with active purification. The way that you're going to seek active purification and hoping in him is this. Looking at him. It doesn't mean like going and saying, okay, these are all the wrong things in my life. I and my own power are going to clean this thing up. I'm going to take this thing right here and I'm going to make it better. I, 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 I've got all these things that I need to do. 
in order to only hope in Jesus and actively make yourself pure, the way you do that is by looking to Jesus, considering him, looking at him, looking at his perfect life. Whenever I there, I'm sad to say that there were three short years of my life where I was not a South Carolina resident. I, I didn't get to be a South Carolina. I, I had to move <clears throat> to North Carolina it was great because I was in seminary and that was actually was fun. I, I don't like what people call it cemetery. It was actually very, very enjoyable. Um, but when we went there, my wife and I, <clears throat> we had to go to the DMV <clears throat> and we had to take the, you know, the written test. Like whenever you took, whenever you're 15, <clears throat> I passed the test the very first time. I thought, you know, this isn't too hard. I passed the test the very first time. So anyway, um, so while we're at the DMV, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. Anyway, so while we're there, I'm going to pay for that one tonight. So I'm sitting there and Christy and I are sitting there and I see this guy over here in the corner and I want to describe him, but I'm afraid that you might have an uncle that looks like him. And so I don't want to offend you, but just think of a uniquely dressed individual, uh, just very uniquely dressed individual. And there he is. And I'm just thinking that's interesting. Um, and so I'm sitting there by Christy and I keep looking at him and he keeps doing this while he's taking his test over in the corner. He keeps doing this. Like looking around and his back, like all the all the deals are here and there's just one by itself. And he's just he's like this and he's like, and I, I get a little closer. I'm like, what the world is he doing? I get a little closer and he's I'm not lying. He's got the DMV manual in his lap. He's cheating on the test. On the deal. And I'm looking at him. He's, he's flipping around, looking at the question and flipping around. And I'm like, Christy, Christy, he's cheating on the DMV test. And I automatically think to myself, all right, here's the deal. I, I'm new to the area, but I'm going to be driving around in this area. And I don't want that guy driving around in my area. If he can't pass the, the easy 30 question test and he's in his 40s, um, I don't want him driving. I just don't want him to have a license. And so uniquely, this is what even gets more weird. I go to the lady and, you know. All right, I'm a tattletale. So I go over to the lady and I say, I say, that guy over there is cheating. He's got the book in his, in his lap. He needs to, you know, you need to do something. And so this is what she does. I mean, I'm not lying. She goes over there and she sees him and she just takes the book away from him. And that's it. Like, leaves him there. She doesn't make him stop taking it. Like, that, that still, still troubles me. It's been a lot of time. But um, she lets him keep taking the test. I guess she's thinking, well, without the book, he's going to fail anyway. But I hope he, he did fail. So, um Sorry, Jesus. So anyway, um, so here's the deal. She takes the book from him and then he's just clearly he's done. He's like shot dead in the water. I'm assuming shot dead in the water. Now, here's my point. I mean, I know that's way out there, but here's my point. The guy has the right idea. I mean, clearly it's sinful what he's doing there, but he has the right idea. And this is what I mean. The only way he was going to pass the test was to have the book Right there in front of him. He knew that. There's no way I'm going to get through this test without having it right here. The only way. The only way we are going to make it. The only way that we are going to remain or abide or keep ourselves as children of God. And I believe we don't lose our salvation. Is by looking to Jesus. We can't just say, okay, Jesus, I'm good now. I'm going to float around and figure this thing out. The only way that we're going to hope in him, that we're going to love him, that we're going to stay there with him is if we have him right in front of our face during the entire test life. You have to remain, you have to see him, you have to abide those born of God only hope in Christ. Nothing else has taken the place of Jesus. There's no there's no room for functional saviors here. This is what I mean by functional saviors. Um. Once I get that, then I'm going to be set or happy. Once when that happens, then me and Jesus are finally going to. And if that right there is not Jesus, once I have my spouse, then I can start. Once I have my child, then I if, if anything else. And those things are good things. I mean, a spouse is a good thing. He who has a wife finds a good thing. Um, children are a blessing from the Lord or, you know, we need money to have you know, like a house and air conditioning and cars to drive around and be able to bless people. Like there's you, these things aren't bad things. I'm not saying those things are bad at all. They're good things. But when those good things become your savior. And you look to those things and you hope in those things. That's that's what I'm putting all my hope in is that instead of Jesus. Well, that's bad. That is bad. Calvin guy that 
the commentator lived 500 years ago. This is what he said, talking about hope. He says, this hope will excite and stimulate us to follow purity for it leads us straight to Christ. It leads us straight to Christ, whom we know to be a perfect pattern of purity. God's calling you to be pure. God's calling you to walk in Christ. God's calling you to only hope in Christ. And the way that's going to happen is don't have other saviors. Look just to Jesus and just Jesus only. And only hope in Him. Not your husband, not your children, not your job, nothing. Alright, I want to conclude with this. Because you, if you are in Christ, have been born of God. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to become a Christian this morning. Put your faith in Him. Cross over from the kingdom of death and darkness into the kingdom of light. Understand that he died and that if you put your faith in him, all his righteousness will be given to you. You can you can begin the walk with Jesus this morning. But for those of you that are now children of God, this is what I want to conclude with. You have been born of God. You are a child of God. Listen to this. Just realize what it means. The freeness of it all. That you and I should be called and become children of God. This freeness of this love that is looked upon us in spite of our sin, in spite of our recalcitrance, in spite of our unworthiness, in spite of our foulness as a result of the fall and our own actions. Oh, the love that is not merely forgiven us, but given itself to us, that has entered into us and shared its own nature with us. Stand in awe of the greatness of it all. Think of what it cost him, our Lord Jesus Christ, to come into the world, to live in the world, suffering its treatment, staggering up of Golgotha with the cross on his shoulders and being nailed to a tree. Think of him dying for us. Think of the suffering and the agony and the shame of it all in order that you and I might become children of God. First John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. The Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men could be called children of God. Amazing. Let's pray. Jesus, I I can't get over it and I don't want to. And I wish that. I wish that I could somehow magically. (laughs) See better and, and have words that we could all see better. But I don't. It's only by a supernatural work of your spirit. Lord, I pray for me and, and all of us that we would that we would see, that we would obey this command in First John three one to see the love of Christ, to see God's love that has been given and planted into us, so that we are now children of God. It's just so gloriously beautiful. Be with us now as we worship, Lord. May our worship reflect back to you the value and glory that you are worth. May we love you well. I pray, Lord, that if anyone here needs to pray, that they would pray. If they need to read, that they would read. If they want to just worship, that they would stand and worship, that they would have their questions answered. They wouldn't leave here without doing that. If they want Jesus to be their Savior, that they would be regenerated by the power of your spirit, that they would be born of you, put their faith in Christ and begin walking with him today. We love you. God, we pray these things in your name.